Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently in week 9 of our Apostles' Creed series. This week, Pastor Kenny teaches from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where we learn that we can have great confidence in knowing that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Almighty Father. So, so far, um, just to kind of recap, we've learned that Jesus died on the cross, right? He died for our sins. Our sins were imputed to him on the cross. And then he rose from the grave. He rose from the dead and he had new life. He, he, he was born again into this new life, right? Resurrection life, resurrection body. And now he offers us new life. And then he spent 40 days with the people, right? And, and it says in Acts 1, he showed many proofs. Right? He like, he did, it wasn't just this story, people were hearing rumors, like, no, Jesus showed up and hung out over 40 days. And then he ascended to heaven, he gave us a helper, the Holy Spirit, he gave us a mission, and he gave us a future hope. And then what about after that? Like, what's Jesus doing now? What, what, what is he doing now before it says he's going to come back? But what about now? The, the, the creed says, he sitteth. Or he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. You could turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And now this language, as you guys are turning to Hebrews 1, this language is about a position or an office. what, What position does Jesus hold right now? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. What does that mean? Theologians call this the threefold office of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. When we say he sits at the right hand of God, he sits at the right hand of God with a position, and his position is threefold, a threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And that's exactly what we see as we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus at the right hand of God. It'll, it'll, it'll make reference to that, which is actually a reference back a thousand years to uh, Psalm 110, which we'll look at. And we see that he sits at the, as a prophet, priest, and king. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says like this. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high as prophet, priest, and king. Now, Hebrews 1 1 through 4 in the actual Hebrew language or transliterated into Greek would be one kind of thesis statements, one sentence, one thesis statement that points to the superiority of this Jesus, namely that Jesus is more superior. We read one through three. Uh, If we had read the the, the ending part in four, it it says literally that, that Jesus is even superior to the angels. 
And then he's going to go on in chapter 1 and, and, and the next couple chapters, and he's going to talk one by one of all the things that Jesus is superior to. All the great things, the law and Moses and angels, all these things are great, but Jesus is superior, and that's kind of the, the aim of this whole letter. So this thesis statement kind of points us to Jesus is superior. And we see in this passage that there's reference or imagery to Jesus being our priest, right? He atones for our sins. He's our king. He's ruling. He's our prophet. Long ago, the prophets came and spoke, but now, who does he speak through? Through Jesus. So he's this prophet, this priest, and this king. To kind of understand what these words mean, the ideas, in simplest terms, uh, I would unpack it like this. A prophet speaks on behalf of God to us as humans. A prophet brings revelation from God to humans. A priest does the other, the, like the opposite side. He makes atonement from the humans. He mediates between humans to God. So God speaks through the prophets the, the, the priest mediates between man and, and, and God. And what does a king do? A king provides leadership, authority, and protection. Jesus does all those things. He speaks to us from God. He speaks to God for us, goes before us. And he provides leadership, authority, and, uh, and protection. So one by one, I want to kind of just unpack these in our notes. The first one is this, is that Jesus is our superior prophet. Jesus is our superior prophet. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Remember, a prophet speaks uh, uh, to man on behalf of God. And what this passage is saying is that God has chosen to reveal many ways, to many different people, over a long period of time, his revelation or what he wants us to know about him, his, who he is, what he is going to accomplish on our behalf, and all that he's promised has come over many times, in many ways, through many people. And this is what theologians call progressive revelation. That God has chosen progressively over time to speak through the prophets Right Through Abraham, he revealed himself as the promise-keeping God. To Moses, he revealed himself as, the, as the, the powerful one who could save and the merciful ruler. Right To David, the one who establishes kingdoms. To Isaiah, the one who would send a suffering servant so that we could be right with God once again. Because they had gone so far away from God. And then he says, and in this last days, right? Many times, that's past present, past tense, right? In, in, in ages past, past tense. But now, present tense, he has sent Jesus. And Jesus is our superior prophet. Now, Moses, interesting, as a prophet, had had made this claim that one day a Messiah would come and would be the superior prophet. 
way back in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 18.15, through Moses, God speaks his words to the people as a prophet. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. It is to him you shall listen. Now here's the cool part about this passage in Hebrews. It says, back in the day, past tense, God spoke through the prophets. But now, does it say he spoke through a superior prophet? It says he spoke through the Son. I don't want you guys to miss that. Translation like this. Back in the day, throughout the ages, God sent messed up, flawed humans to speak on his behalf as prophets. But now, he didn't send a human to speak on behalf of God. He sent God to become a human and speak for himself, is what he's saying. And he's a superior prophet because now we have God himself coming and revealing himself to us. The perfect revelation of who God is. The exact image of who God is. So God sends him his beloved son. God himself came to reveal himself. He becomes the superior prophet. He still is our seated at the right hand of God as our prophet. And so the big question is this. So what? How do, we, how do we bring that to an application? Why is that such a big deal to us that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God as our superior prophet? And here's the answer. It's in your notes. Because Jesus is our superior prophet, we can trust all that he said is true. We can put our trust in all that he said. Let me ask you this. Where do you go to get news i mean yeah where do you where do we go to be informed you know what i mean where do you go i mean like the, the interesting thing about the life that we live in is uh, someone was just showed this like picture on it someone said instagram of the old like dewey decimal system filing system and they said millennials no i don't want to pick on millennials today it's not where i'm going it's their fault not mine right like millennials don't complain about your research project and it shows this picture of the dewey decimal system this filing cabinet it said this was my google <laughs> right like now we just could go online or just like, you don't even have to like know how to type. You just like ask Siri or whatever your deal is, right? Like, like any question and we get like immediate information and it just reminds us, where do you go to get wisdom? In a world where it seems so easy to get information, will we remember the ultimate prophet where we go to get truth? When all of the noise comes and, and, and we're trying to figure out what to do, where are we looking to for wisdom? It reminds us, when, it's, when we say Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, we should be immediately grasping like, that is who I go to for, that's my go-to guy. Jesus is now my go-to guy. When I need wisdom, I go to Jesus. And the idea of of, of, of what Moses is saying, he goes, I'm going to send this prophet, the superior prophet, and we know Jesus 
is that person? And what was, what was it that Moses said we should do when he comes? He's the one we should listen to. In the scriptures, listening and obeying have to connect together. You have to realize that. Like, sometimes you could go like, like if, you're, if, you, if you were to tell your kid, like, hey, go clean your room. Okay. No, I said, go clean your room. I heard you. I'm listening to you. No, if you're listening, you would go do it. <laughs> right? Listening and obedience. Like, you're not listening until you actually follow through with what I'm telling you to do. That's what he's saying. Listening plus obedience equals faith. And he wants us to have faith in this better prophet. Now, number two in your notes is this. That Jesus also sits at the right hand of God as our king. Jesus is our king. Jesus reigns, providing leadership, protection, and authority. Now, this is interesting. Where do we get this right-hand uh, language? I mean, in, in, it, when, when they're talking about the right hand, it's all through the Old Testament, and then you'll see in pieces in the New Testament. When, when someone's at the right hand, why is that a big deal? Like, what is, I think we get an idea, like that means authority, and it's a special place. But here's the idea. Back in the day, if you're going to be a king or anybody, but if you're going to be a king, you needed to kind of always be on alert for enemies. There's always an enemy lurking. You have to live that way if you're going to be a good king. You have to protect your people. You have to protect yourself. Now, it was just customary. If you're going to be a warrior, if you're going to be a king protecting yourself, you would have a shield and you would have a weapon. Does that make sense? You guys get that picture? Anyone seen Gladiator? Anyone not seen Gladiator? Maybe we got what we're going to do this Friday, right? So you have a shield and the shield would go in your left hand. Didn't matter if you're right-handed or left-handed. You would have the shield in your left hand. Get the picture. And you would have a weapon in your right hand. Now, they didn't just walk up like in street fight, right? They had jousting, they had arrows, they had all of these things. You got a shield, full body if you're the king, you could hide behind on the left side. On the right side, you got a a sword. Someone shooting arrows at you, would you rather be behind this side or trying to hit it with your... (laughs) So where are you vulnerable? You're vulnerable on the right side. So if you're a prudent king and you have protection on your left side, and not so much on the right side, you're vulnerable on the right side, where do you put your best man? Your most trusted person goes on your right side. And that's where this imagery comes from. The person who, when you put someone at your right side, you're saying, you are the man. You're the one I want protecting my life. You're the one that I want to give this honor to. You have the greatest position of trust and honor on the right side, because that's, where I'm vulnerable. When, Jesus, when, when, God, when it says he put him at the right hand of God Almighty, think about that. It's saying Jesus is equal and, 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 and in this position of the highest honor and trust. And so he sits equal to God and we'll see as, his, as a king. That God is king. That Jesus is king. He sits at the right hand in this special Position And the imagery comes from Psalm 110. And interesting, about Psalm 110, I didn't know this before, but it is the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. And it's pretty short. And it's about the messianic king 
that would come. That when, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be this king. Now listen, in Psalm 110, 1 and 2, says this. And this is what the, the writer of Hebrews is quoting when he puts him at the right hand. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So Jesus sits at the right hand, this special place of authority, and he says, You're gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to put your enemies under your footstool. Now, I don't know if you guys use that imagery, but here's kind of what it means. It's this figure of speech. Back in the day, you'd say, when your enemies are, are become your footstool, it would be like if the beloved Dodgers were playing the dreaded San Francisco Giants. And we got some fans. And I'm just saying, and you're watching the game, and the Dodgers are just clobbering them, like we do sometimes when things are going my way, right? The Dodgers are just, and this is what we'd say, like the Dodgers are just handling their business, right? Like the Dodgers are like, like it's like they're the only ones on the field and they're in control, right? Or like the Warriors, right? We'll, we'll, we'll speak your language so I can get some amen, amens going, right? <laughs> the Warriors are playing whatever team, it doesn't matter, right? And they're out there and they're just handling their business and they're just taking care of everything they need and we would say it like this, and they're just right. making their enemies their footstool. Sometimes you got to make a stretch to get what you need in life. So that's what he's saying, that Jesus as this king is making his enemies, our enemies, his footstool. He's handling his business. He is in control. He is, he is, it's like you're just watching the game and you're like, like man, we're going to win. That's what this imagery is like from Psalm 110 and Hebrews is tying this in and saying this Jesus that we put our trust in is you can trust what he says, you can trust who he is. He's king. He's got it under control. So what's the so what in this part? Why does it matter so much that we say Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and we immediately think, and he is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. Sometimes we just need to remember that. Like when we're looking at life, especially when you're going through hard times, right? When, 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 when political shifts are happening and you're getting nervous, when there's rumors of war, when you get that phone call that you were dreading, when, when things don't go your way, when the bills are piling up and your bank account is diminishing, it's just good to know like who's on the throne. Jesus is on the throne handling his business on our behalf. He's got this. So when we say Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, we should immediately go, I know who to go to, and I know who's handling my business. Right? He's on the throne. This is wonderful news. And then lastly, we see that Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our priest. Now remember, the prophet, I know I'm being redundant, but I want you guys to capture this. The prophet is going to speak for God to humans. The priest, his job is important. He's going to go before God on behalf of the messed up people. And we need a mediator, right? 
And Jesus is going to be our priest, our mediator, and he's going to go to God on our behalf, and he's going to handle business for us. Right? And so when we say Jesus is our priest, this is, a, this is an important piece. And interesting, in Psalm 110, it talks about the Messiah who's going to be the king and who's going to be the priest. Jesus is going to be the king. We saw that in verses 1 and 2. He's going to, he's going to handle his business. He's going to put his enemies as his footstool. He's going to be at the right hand. And then we pick it up in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 110. It says, Your people will offer themselves freely. Or the CSB says, willingly. The people of God will offer themselves to God voluntarily. On the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning. Like you just get up in the morning, just ready, voluntary. That's what it's describing the response that the people are going to have to this God, this priest. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youths will be yours. Even the young ones will be His. And then it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. Then He says about this coming Messiah, a thousand years before it, He says, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's an interesting word, right? Melchizedek. Right? It's fun to say. Let's say it together. Ready? Melchizedek. Right? What is He talking about? This is super interesting. This author of this book called Hebrews is saying Jesus is on the right hand of God. He's not only the superior prophet, the superior king, but he's the superior priest. And then he points us back from Psalm 110 in his reference. That's how these Hebrews would would, would write. When they reference something, they expect that you're going to understand what's going on. And they're saying, whoa, he's pointing to Melchizedek. And we know this is true. We, you, you jump forward in Hebrews chapter 7, the same book. It's all about Melchizedek. He, in a thesis statement, he's bringing it up. He's going to unpack it in Hebrews 7. Who is this Melchizedek? What is he talking about? So you'd have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, who God has revealed himself as the promise-keeping God, goes out and goes to war and handles his business. He wins. He puts his enemies under his footstool. When he comes back from war, he, he, he meets this king of Salem. Salem is another word for what, what will later be Jerusalem. He meets this king of Jerusalem. And his name is Melchizedek. And he is interesting because he's both a king and a priest. Melchizedek. Melchizedek meets Abraham, and he, his message is, he reminds Abraham, you think you just handled your business? No, God handled his business. God gave you that victory. And Abraham is drawn to worship this God who gave him victory, and he responds by giving him a tenth of everything that he had earned. In the victory. That's how we got the tithe. That's the first reference of a priest. That's the first reference of a tithe. And now, thousands of years later, this Hebrew author is saying Jesus is a superior priest in the order of Melchizedek, right? Who's both king and priest and also prophet. 
Now, here's some interesting things about the way Hebrews uh, authors would write. Names meant something. Guess what Melchizedek means? Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Guess what Salem means? When you say king of Salem, you're saying king of peace. Jesus is both king of peace. Right? We see that in Isaiah when he talks about the Messiah. He's king of peace. We see that in Luke. We, see that we, we talk about that in Christmas time, right? He's king of peace. He's king of righteousness. He's our priest. King of righteousness, king of peace, this Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 7, like we talked about, verses 15 and 16, the author continues this thesis statement. He builds on it and he says, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. This is Jesus, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. What does that mean? How did Jesus become a priest? Jesus became a priest not because somebody christened him priest, but because he rose from the dead. He had an indestructible life. They tried to kill him, but death could not keep him. So he becomes this priest in this most beautiful of ways, and he becomes this superior priest. And then in verse 26 it says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those for the people. That's how priests would do it. First, they would have to cleanse themselves. Then they would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for God. He's saying Jesus didn't have to do, he didn't have to cleanse himself. Right? For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So he sits at the right hand of God, this position of great honor as our prophet. And because he's our prophet, we know where to run. We know who to go to for wisdom. He sits as our king. We know he's going to handle business. We could trust him. We could have peace. He's the king of peace. Why? Because he's the king of And he handles his business so we can have peace. And he's the priest. He's the king of righteousness. Why? He makes us right before God. Right? This great king at the right hand, prophet, priest, and king. We'll have the worship team come back up and we'll get to this, so what? So why is it such a big deal that he is a superior priest? And the answer is this. So now we can know that we are forgiven. We can know that we're forgiven. We can know who to go to for wisdom. We know who's on the throne. And we know that our sins are forgiven. So here's some things as we prepare to respond in worship. When we say Jesus is our prophet, I want you guys to just kind of sit in that for a moment. You might say it like this. You go, Jesus is my prophet. Well, then this follow-up question would be appropriate. Well, are you listening and obeying him? Are there things in your life that you really just need to be honest and saying, 
no, actually, I'm not listening at this point in that area of my life. Well, now would be a great time to just kind of redirect your heart and your mind and saying, repent. Say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't been listening. I mean, it's not because you're not a great prophet. It's not because you're not trustworthy. And so this morning might just be a time where the Holy Spirit might be gently saying, there's some things I want you to work on this morning. I want you to listen to the prophet. Moses said he's the one you should listen to. Jesus is our priest. Have you, have you put your trust in Jesus alone for righteousness? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you taken your shame and just nailed it to the cross? Have you taken your, your guilt and just said, I can't fix this? Are there things in your life you just, I can't fix this? He's not asking you to. He's asking you to come to Him to mediate on your behalf before God because He is the perfect priest. We say Jesus is our King. Have you placed yourself voluntarily under His authority? Is He your King? Or on the other side of it, do you have something going on in your life right now that has just got you so anxious, so overwhelmed? And in this moment, reminding yourself that he's the king is just to say, it's going to be okay because I know who's on the throne. (laughs) Nothing man could do. Nothing could happen that would change that. It's the one unchangeable factor. Jesus is always on the throne. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.